Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, Paleo View listeners. And hello, Sarah. How are you? I am on single parent duty, so I'm exhausted. <laughs> My husband's out of town for a business trip. So I always I always appreciate like, he's he's one of those wonderful husbands who does a lot around the house. Uh, so we're really, you know, we're like we're a super team. And then when one of us goes off to travel for work and leaves the other one home alone with the kids, we all just try to maintain our sanity. And I'm in that like Oh, when I finish recording the podcast, I still need to like clean up the kitchen and empty the kitty litter and take out the trash and like do all these things that normally would magically happen while I was recording the podcast. So, I mean, I don't think my husband listens to the show, but if he is, I appreciate you. That's it. And also kudos to all of those single parents out there, because anytime that I have single parent duty, I'm like watching the clock counting down the hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And just huge kudos to those of you who do the whole thing on your own because it is a beast. And Sarah and I have said before, we hear from people all the time that say, how do you do it all? And we're like, we don't, <laughs> you know, like right. we have a team and we have a spouse. And um, for me, I have older kids that pitch in at this point. So um, those of you who are waiting until, you know, counting down the days so that your children can make themselves breakfast on Saturday and Sunday and you can sleep in a little and um, not have to do everything yourselves. Just hang in a little bit longer. It'll happen. And uh, just mad props to those of you who are doing it all right oh, now because sure. I cannot. I I did not. I mean, I'm sure I could have figured it out. My mom was a single mom, but um I I had to do a lot as a kid, I'll tell you that. All right, we're completely derailing, and that's on <laughs> nobody but me. That's uh, derailing before we even rail. Well, breaking records. Um, <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been really super busy. Um, I talk every year when summertime rolls around about how my day job gets very, very, very busy um, towards the end of the fiscal year. And because of the way that the government did the budget this year, things are happening a little bit early. So basically, my quarter is turned into a half of year between like May and November instead of, um, you know, like July to September. So I'm, I'm dealing with that. And I have unfortunately turned Matt into a single parent a lot of the time simply because they've just been needing to stay at the office and and work so much lately. So um, this is my free time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you getting to spend it with me and I apologize to Matt for taking your, for you taking you away for those. Of course not. No apologies needed. And um, you know, I do this, for me, I do this for you and I do this for you listeners. So, um, 
who are always there for me. I did, I, by the time this goes live, it probably won't be there anymore, but I, I did a little monologue um, on Insta stories today. And I just, I, I know we have like an actual topic planned, but I just want to remind everybody that no matter how busy your life gets or whatever you have in your life going on, I know that it's really easy to get wrapped up in wanting what somebody else has. And I think that's just like human nature of how hard we work or the things that we work for. You know, I would not be telling the truth if I said that there weren't plenty of things that I think about that other people have that I would like to have. Um, But I just would encourage everybody to think about what that looks like for you. And if it's jealousy and if it's anger and if it's frustration, um, those just aren't really good feels. And so for me, this busy period of my life is busy in a couple of different aspects from the different things that I have going on in my life. And what's been fascinating is like these concerns of women on women jealousy and like thinking that there's only room at the top for a certain amount it's just not right. And so I am here because you listeners and you, Sarah, we have all been partners together for five years and almost, almost six. (laughs) And for me, it's, it's really about like empowering each other and lifting each other up. And so if, if you feel this way or someone else feels this way towards you, like having compassion and maybe complimenting the person on the thing that you like and asking them to mentor you or asking them how to accomplish it. Like these are such better outlets. So I know that's a really weird tangent after I also just had a random tangent, but (laughs) let's call it the random tangent show. I am feeling very much like this is a message that needs to be heard in the world right now. So I'm putting it out there and I'm hoping that it inspires even just one listener to either have patience with others who are not expressing themselves in the best ways, or if you're having those feelings to acknowledge them and to move forward in a, in a healthy, compassionate way. So that's what I have. I'm looking forward to your tangent today. <laughs> My tangent, that shall be the topic of the show. Woo, woo, woo. Um, so as we know, we have talked about our feelings of carbohydrates and lack of carbohydrates a lot. And there is, uh, I don't think it'll come as a surprise to our listeners that Um, If we're going to talk about carbohydrates, there's an opinion that this show has, but I'm going to remind everybody. It's not an opinion. It's science-based fact. Well, that's what I was about to say, which is I'm going to remind everybody that these opinions have been formed from science. And so I know that you have so much to share based on the Paleo Magazine article that you wrote and the research that you did. And I mean, this goes back years from speaking at Paleo Effects on the same topic and all that kind of stuff. So um, where I have been on my tangent, which had absolutely nothing to do with carbohydrates, and I apologize, listeners, for making you feel like you were going down one path five minutes ago, and now you're doing a 180. Um, Sarah, you have much to share on this topic. So do you want to kind of give us a a once over? um, I actually, so I... I have become a regular contributor for PaleoMag, and I don't think I have shared that on this podcast yet. Um, so this is actually the fifth article, uh, it, like the fifth issue in a row that I've written an article for, and this is an article that's coming in the 
uh, July, August, right? Is that right? Uh, hang on. I have, I have the current issue right beside me, which is June, July. Okay. This is coming in the August, September issue. And, um, I was having a conversation with, uh, the editor in chief of, of Paleo Mag. And he said, you really, you know, don't support low carb or ketogenic diets. And I, I sort of said, I, I went on a little, you know, he, he was like, but you know, there's all of these other, uh, sort of big voices in this community who are really on this bandwagon. And I said, well, here, you know, here are my concerns. I, there's, um, there's some, you know, really fundamental flaws with a low carb approach and some systems that people are not thinking about, right? So people think very much of uh, reduce insulin, right? Regulate blood sugar levels at all costs, reduce insulin at all costs, and the lower the insulin, the better. And that's not actually supported by our current understanding of human biology. And I see, you know, I'm, I'm reading research that shows that there's actually the capacity for harm from following these approaches for, for a long period of time. So he asked me to write, you know, write up that conversation into an article. Um, and writing for a magazine is quite different than writing for um, my website. So <laughs> all of our listeners who are familiar with my articles know that I'm fairly verbose. Um, I don't like to um, dumb down science. I even just find that that phrase to be insulting. Um, and instead, I take the time to explain it. So what I ended up doing was writing this, like just everything that I wanted to say about the roles that insulin have in the human body that have nothing to do with glucose metabolism, because insulin is a super hormone. We've got a number of super hormones in our body that do a bunch of things, right? Another great example is cortisol. Yes, it's our fight or flight stress response, but it's also a circadian rhythm hormone. It also regulates the immune system. It also feeds into our thyroid, into our sex hormones. Like cortisol does so many things. It's a multitasker and so is insulin. So I just wrote everything that I wanted to say about insulin, and it was like nearly three times more my maximum word count. <laughs> so I ended up uh, posting that this sort of epic, huge uh, article, the unedited version of it, on my website, and then I cut 60% of it down for uh, the Paleo Mag uh, summer issue. So I, I just, in this research, I ended up learning so much. Like it was one of those things that I, I had a fairly good handle on a lot of it. But as I dug deeper, I was like, insulin's amazing. And what happens is, and, and we're going to go through a lot of the things that it does in the human body that don't have anything to do with shuttling glucose into cells, the sort of simplistic view of, you know, insulin shuttles glucose into cells. When we're insulin resistant, we have high blood sugar and that causes inflammation and all these health problems, right? We've got this very simplistic picture of insulin Insulin is so amazing, and I, I really, I, I just wanted to be able to share that on the podcast as well. I really have said this many times on the show, especially recently. I love this particular um, uh, sort of medium for for communicating. So I really wanted to be able to have this conversation and uh, and share this information with our podcast listeners, and not just have it be like articles that are that are off for you know people to go read. So. Um, I think we should sort of start with, uh, you know, insulin, you know, insulin as, as a super hormone has, it's, you know, it's basically called insulin signaling, right? So it, it has all of these effects through binding with its receptor. 
And there's actually more than one insulin receptor. And there's insulin receptors in basically every cell type. But it's not always about shuttling glucose into the cell. So we know that there's one insulin receptor type that when insulin binds with that receptor, it transports this glucose receptor into the cell membrane called GLUT4, then that can shuttle glucose into the cell, right? That's how insulin helps take blood sugar out of our blood uh, after we've eaten and then shuttles it into all of our cells. It's through signaling for this receptor to get embedded into the cell membrane. But insulin combined with multiple types of receptors and multiple different types of cells and have these effects that are not related to glucose whatsoever. So all of the effects that I'm going to talk about today have nothing to do with glucose. The glucose status is not important for these signaling effects. Uh, and in the couple of a couple of exceptions, I will make sure to, to call those out. So when my research started with um, knowing that insulin was important for thyroid function, but not having a really good sense of exactly what the details of that were. So as I started digging, um, what I discovered was that we actually have three different enzymes in, or three different variations of the same enzyme in our body whose job it is to convert the uh, pro-thyroid uh, hormone, T4, into the active thyroid hormone, T3. Now, those terms are a little bit misleading because T4 is a little bit active. It's just that T3 is about 20 times more active than T4. The thyroid uh, makes T4. That's what the thyroid's job is, is to make T4. Uh, that conversion from T4 to T3 can happen in the thyroid, but it can also happen pretty much all over the body. It happens very, very extensively in the liver and the gut and the kidneys, but it's also happening everywhere in the brain, in our heart, in our muscles. And it's these uh, enzymes, they're called uh, deiodinases, that are responsible for converting T4 into T3. And there are three forms, as I mentioned. The second form, type 2 deiodinase, uh, which is actually present in most tissues. So it's in the brain, it's in uh, fat tissue, it's in skeletal muscle, it's in heart, it's in the thyroid itself. Um, it is uh, the most active form of all of these converting um, deiodinase enzymes. So type 2 is about a thousand times more active than either type 1 or type 3. And type 2 is stimulated by insulin. So when we have insulin released, it stimulates the activity of this type 2 deiodinase, which then stimulates the conversion of the pro-hormone T4 into the active hormone T3. And this is, this is the way that uh, insulin feeds into thyroid function. So we know there's this sort of axis between thyroid function, stress axis, and blood sugar regulation and insulin, and it's this mechanism. It's from insulin's impact on uh, type 2 deiodinase activity. And so what we actually see in uh, insulin resistance, diabetes, we see a much uh, higher uh, risk of hypothyroidism. We see also increased subclinical hypothyroidism. So where thyroid levels are low, but they're not low enough to require some kind of supplementation. And where I got really interested is there was actually a recent paper done in epileptics following a ketogenic diet 
to, to manage their epilepsy. And it was the first paper in humans to do a really thorough study of how ketogenic diets impact thyroid function. It was just published last year. And they actually showed, they followed 120 um, patients. Um, it was a Mediterranean-style ketogenic diet. So it's one that has this uh, focus on very, very healthy fats, right? A lot of olive oil. And <laughs> about... Uh, about uh, one in six, so 20 of the 120 study participants developed hypothyroidism requiring uh, thyroxin medication within the first six months of the study. Eight of those 20 participants that became hypothyroid because of a ketogenic diet developed hypothyroidism within the first month. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't just that their T3 was low. They also had the rise in TSH, which is classic for hypothyroid. Um, the study also showed that uh, their female participants were much more likely to develop hypothyroidism than their male participants. Uh, sort of separately, women are much higher risk they, um, of developing autoimmune disease in general. And Hashimoto's thyroiditis is one that very disproportionately affects women compared to men. And there's been this um, this counter argument from the ketogenic diet community on this study that you know any weight loss diet causes suppression of the thyroid, which is true. Um, if you go and look at uh, these other studies that looked at the effect of weight loss um, on thyroid function, you do see a decrease in T3. The difference is the magnitude. So in these other studies that have looked at the effect of uh, caloric restriction and weight loss on thyroid function have shown a decrease in T3, but not to low levels that require thyroid hormone replacement medication, um, and they also show no impact on TSH. So it's actually more like weight loss is being a corrective factor um, on thyroid. It's uh, maintaining thyroid levels within uh, normal lab range, as opposed to ketogenic diet, which is actually um, inducing hypothyroidism. And there may be some other risk factors here. So it might be that it's inducing hypothyroidism in people who are already had higher risk for hypothyroidism, right? People with autoimmune genes, for example. Um, but that, to me, that link between understanding that insulin's important for thyroid function, insulin resistance increases the chance of thyroid dysfunction and ketogenic diets uh, are causing hypothyroidism it really starts to make a case for uh, insulin's important and we want to maintain insulin signaling. So that means that you want to be insulin sensitive, which means not eating all the sugar, but eating whole food sources of carbohydrate, but you do want some insulin. So it's not about avoiding carbohydrates at all costs, but eating healthy, slow-burning carbohydrates, the kinds that we talk about on the show all the time, right? Root vegetables, fruit are generally low glycemic load choices. Um, eating those carbohydrates as part of a meal that includes uh, fiber because you're eating the whole, the whole fruit or vegetable, that includes some fat and some protein to slow down blood sugar regulation. That's really, really important. But it's not about ditching carbohydrates at all costs and that that can actually potentially uh, suppress thyroid function because we're not making enough insulin. So you get the one extreme insulin resistance, so diabetes or you know loss of insulin resistance leading to diabetes. The insulin can't do its signaling, right? Because it can't bind with its receptors. And you know not eating enough carbs to be secreting enough insulin for the signaling. You have these two extremes with the same effect. 
And so that's where I started my research was with thyroid. As a person with hypothyroidism, I found this really, really fascinating. I think too, it's, you know, I've talked about how I had a flare when I was doing super low carb paleo for Mm -hmm. about a year. And um, in particular, I also have the problem of not properly digesting my food when I go, when I go low carb because I don't have a gallbladder. So therefore my body's not absorbing what I'm eating. Um, And so I can anecdotally you know, I can personally say it doesn't work for me. Like I've, I've tried it. It caused a flare. I think I still, my body is still not recovered from going so low carb for so long. I think when I was working out often, it helped my hormones, but now that that's not happening from, you know, other reasons, um, I know for a fact that my body is not functioning from a thyroid perspective and from, uh, hormone perspective in a, in a balanced way that would be appropriate for someone who lives the lifestyle like I live. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I am very interested in the science and the mechanisms of that, because anecdotally, I can say my N equals one experience, this is what it is. But that could just be for me, right? Like somebody else could have a different experience. But I think when we talk about science and what it's doing, um, it helps people understand that while they might feel okay today, what it might be doing to their health one year, two year, three years from now, um, and the implications that that has is important for people to understand when they make these decisions. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have been such a, um, loud voice of dissent, um, sort of showing the other side of the coin uh, to balance the conversation uh, with all the sort of ketogenic diet propaganda that's out there. I really feel like um, people who are recommending the ketogenic diet are not presenting a very balanced picture of what the science actually tells us in terms of the long-term health effects. And like, I don't want to take away from the really compelling research showing how therapeutic it can be in uh, neurologic and neurodegenerative disease. Like that's really interesting science. But those people, right, you're talking about people with refractory epilepsy or uh, secondary um, progressing multiple sclerosis uh, or brain tumors, right? You're talking about people whose cost-benefit analysis is very, very different than somebody who's just looking to lose weight. Um, if you're looking to lose weight, a ketogenic diet is not a healthy way to do it. If you are looking to not have 12 seizures a day and a ketogenic diet you know, stops that, then you can take this information. You can take, okay, it's going to impact my thyroid. I'm going to get into some of the other effects. Um that ketogenic diets and and very low-carbohydrate diets can have uh, because of the important signaling roles of insulin, Um, you can take that information and work with a doctor and try to mitigate those effects um, as best you can, but it's a a cost-benefit analysis, right? It's going to be better to be dealing with low thyroid, with low muscle mass, loss of lean muscle mass, with bone mineral density problems. You know, these are things that we're going to talk about. Uh, it's going to be better to be dealing with those things than potential brain damage from so many seizures. So that's a a very different uh, equation compared to there's a lot of ways to lose weight 
Um, and there's a few ways to do it in a way that's healthy and um, easily maintained. And I do not put a ketogenic diet under that, that latter category. So let before before you jump in, mm-hmm. the other thing that I want to say, and, and we did address this, I don't know if it was the vegetables podcast or where we did, but when we say not low carb, like we're not talking about a standard American diet versus zero carbohydrates. Like there is a scale between there. <laughs> Wait, you're saying you're saying there's something in between all or nothing? <laughs> so, you know, for example, you mentioned root vegetables, but I think even just adding unlimited amounts of vegetables is like mm-hmm. a really good place to be. And I'm not going to tell anybody how they need to live their lives. But unless a food is causing you harm, like that curry I ate two days ago um, <laughs> like for nightshades, because I have an autoimmune disease, um, I really think that if you're telling yourself carrots or, you know, sweet bell peppers are forbidden foods, um, why? You know, like I just, I have a really hard time understanding. We have talked so extensively on the show about the importance of vegetables. And when you take out large amounts of vegetables from your diet, uh, because it has a carbohydrate above, you know, three or whatever, um, it's really difficult to live a healthy life in general, which is not necessarily what we've talked about before, but not necessarily the specific science that Sarah's talking about. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that when we say keto slash low carb, like we're talking about 25 carbohydrates or under a day. Like we're talking about very, very low carb, which if you are eating the amount of vegetables that we also recommend on this show, you oh, could not like possibly, possibly achieve both. Under, it's impossible. If you're just, even if you're eating only non-starchy vegetables, just to get your eight servings and your 25 grams of fiber, you are you're eating at least 100 grams of carbohydrates. And to be clear, while... Atkins allows for the uh, balancing of fiber to be removed from carbohydrates. When we're talking about the definition of of keto, low carb, and the um, hormonal effects of that diet, they do not include fiber. So you might already be on our bandwagon and not know it, right? Like if you're removing you know what I mean? Like if you're removing high carbohydrate and you're leaving in vegetables and if something has a fiber, you're, you're not concerned about it, then we're, we're basically talking the same language already. So I just want to put that out there because I think when we talk in generalities, sometimes the nuance of what you and I inherently know already might get lost. But when, when we're talking about these sort of hormonal changes that your body is going to experience, there are thresholds that we're being specific about. And this is not an all or nothing zero to 200 carbohydrate. We're, we're talking about this area in between and, and what might work best for you and why. Sweet. So let's talk. See my, see my pen there. That's, that was a good pen. So punny. So I, I like, yeah, I love pens. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, some of the other really important roles that insulin has in the human body that are not related to glucose metabolism. Um, so one of the things that I was a, a little bit surprised to learn was that insulin signaling is really important for uh, muscle growth and repair. 
And this is, there's certainly a piece of this that is related to, you know, glycogen replenishing after workout, but actually insulin helps bring amino acids into muscle tissue. So it actually helps transport not just sugars, but helps transport amino acids, uh, including branch chain amino acids, which are really, really important for muscle protein synthesis. And then on top of helping to bring amino acids into the muscle, insulin stimulates muscle protein synthesis when those amino acids are there, and it suppresses muscle uh, or protein breakdown uh, whether there's amino acid availability or not. So it actually has anabolic effects. Um, and what's really cool is they've actually done studies in the case of insulin resistance and shown that if you administer insulin, so you're, you're doing an injection of insulin to raise insulin even higher, right? So you're saying this this person uh, is insulin resistant, so insulin isn't doing its signaling job at what their pancreas is putting out, let's give them an injection of insulin and increase their insulin like way high, you can then stimulate these anabolic effects uh, of insulin on muscle growth and repair. And of course, the you know performance community has known this for a long time. That's why there's all of these um, you know, electrolyte beverages, these post-workout shakes that include uh, sugars on top of amino acids, Pop, like that. Pop, pop tarts and rice crispy treats mid workout. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was, which we're uh, not recommending. No, right I was talking to my, my eight year old today about uh, when I used to run marathons in my mid twenties, because that was a good choice. And, um, and how we had like one of the husbands would like park his van every five or six miles and have this like Gatorade and protein bar like station. And we'd like eat and run at the same time. And I'm like, we're not going to do that anymore. But uh, yeah. So she was like, why would you eat and run? I'm like, well, when you run for four hours, <laughs> it seems like a good idea. Um, so yeah. So insulin's really, really important for um, muscle uh, and muscle maintenance and growth and what is interesting is that we see sort of, again, these the reflection of that signaling in insulin resistance and diabetes and in ketogenic diets. So it's fairly well known that one of the side effects of type 2 diabetes is poor muscle strength and function and a faster um, decline of muscle quality and strength with age compared to healthy individuals. Uh, so it's it's a um, definitely a complication of diabetes to basically be losing um, you know lean muscle mass. And there's actually been a number of human and animal studies that have identified loss of lean mass during weight loss using a ketogenic diet. Um, in fact, you know, one of the the most important studies uh, was done a couple years ago now by Dr. Kevin Hall's lab, where they actually did a, a very, very well-controlled metabolic ward study and compared the weight loss of a balanced macronutrient diet versus a ketogenic diet. And they showed that there was no metabolic advantage to a ketogenic diet. That was what they were testing. So the whole idea of ketogenic diets turning you into fat-burning machines. And what they showed was there was no increase in metabolism. 
there was no preferential fat loss in ketogenic diets. And in fact, the ketogenic diet group lost more lean muscle mass than the balanced macronutrient group. And so this whole argument is is really flawed. I think the science doesn't support it. Um, and so what's really interesting is um, there's also been studies that have looked at um, matching uh, calorie for calorie, ketogenic diets versus non-ketogenic diets, and showing that if you have more protein in a non-ketogenic diet, that that actually has a, a muscle protein sparing effect. So it basically means that the uh, lean muscle mass is not lost as quickly. So we do we do always lose a little bit of lean mass when we're losing weight. That is one of the things that happens because our body does get into a very catabolic phase and it starts breaking down everything. So you're burning fat uh, when you're losing losing weight, but you're also burning some some muscle as well. And science really shows that there there's two things that are super super important for maintaining lean lean muscle mass during weight loss, um, or at least preserving as much as possible. One is high protein intake, so somewhere around at least 20% of calories, but even up to to 30%. And there's some studies that have gone even higher. And um, doing some kind of physical activity. So the stimulus of being physically active while losing weight helps to also stimulate that you know muscle growth and repair. So those two things are are the most important part. Um, there's also been some studies on ketogenic diets in athletic performance, and um, what is very interesting is that they they have this sort of this dual effect. So there's some benefits to aerobic capacity from ketogenic diets in athletes. But because there's this higher rate of fat oxidation during ketosis, there's this increased oxygen demand. So what ends up happening is um, athletic uh, performance ends up, this uh, sort of endurance training ends up being impaired because, not because of, of any change to aerobic capacity, that's actually improved, but because of needing more oxygen. Uh, so they just don't have the same endurance. And there's actually been just one study that have looked that's that I've seen that's looked at anaerobic exercise and shown uh, also sort of reduced anaerobic exercise performance. Uh, so that would apply to things that are more like uh, sprinting, high intensity interval training, um, any kind of short duration activity. And there's a whole a whole collection of studies that are looking at amino acid supplementation to try to mitigate these effects in uh, athletes who want to follow a ketogenic diet for I don't know what reasons. Um, so I think that you know when you start uh, when you start getting really into here's this huge you know bowl of supplements that you need to take because of all the unwanted effects of this diet, you know that there's uh, something that needs to be reconsidered. One of the other things that I um, found through my research is that insulin is really important for bone mineralization. So bone is constantly turning over. It's constantly breaking down and uh, rebuilding itself. Um, and it does this our whole lives. There's two main cell types that drive this. Uh, osteoclasts break down bone and osteoblasts build bone back up. And what happens as we age is... Uh, osteoclasts sort of continue to be as active and osteoblasts generally become a little bit less active. And that's one of the reasons why 
uh, a, a slow and gradual loss of bone mineral density as we age is sort of a normal, not awesome side effect of aging. But what's really interesting is that insulin ha is a really, really important signaling molecule for osteoblasts especially. So it, it, it does signal some osteoclast activity, but it actually drives osteoblast activity. So when you have normal insulin levels, you are promoting that building back up of, of uh, bone while not having much of an effect on the um, sort of demineralization, the breaking down of bone. And where that's important is insulin resistance. You end up, you're still breaking down bone, but you're not building it up as fast. And there's actually some studies showing that in low carb, very low carb diets, that potentially there's the same thing. What's cool about the system is that there's a, it's a two way street. So the bone cells are also signaling to the pancreas um, on what, and they're, they're actually controlling insulin sensitivity. And so researchers are now trying to understand how uh, bones and, and specifically insulin responsive bone cells can actually help to regulate metabolism in general. And there is now a growing understanding that osteoporosis is like bone diabetes. So osteoporosis may be driven by insulin resistance in our bones, which is fascinating to me because dementia, especially Alzheimer's, is believed to be driven by insulin resistance in the brain or sort of a brain diabetes. So the number of chronic health conditions that sort of plague Western countries that are being linked to insulin resistance is growing. And what's fascinating is this idea of insulin resistance in specific tissues. And so you could measure as having normal blood sugar levels because you're not insulin resistant in your blood or your muscle tissues that are absorbing all of your glucose after you eat, but your bones are insulin resistant and that's why you're losing bone mineral density. I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, I'm completely fascinated because while you were talking, I had my hand over my mouth and I was like, <gasps> you know, I've done a lot of research myself on how heavy lifting also improves bone density. And mm -hmm. I also know that heavy lifting improves insulin regulation. So this also mm -hmm. makes no surprise to me that there's this full circle loop here of um, how this could all be tied together and important for health. Not at all yeah. shocking. <laughs> um, and, and to, you know, just bring some numbers, some numbers into this. Um, if people with type two diabetes have a 69% increased bone fracture rate, their bone remodeling is about 70% lower than in healthy people. Um, so even those fractures, they have a higher chance of fractures and the fractures take longer to heal. Um, with low carbon ketogenic diets, uh, effects on uh, bone mineral density have only been observed in uh, pediatric patients. Um, and that's probably because their bone remodeling is so much faster that it's sort of easier to detect. Um, so we don't actually know how long it would be in adults following a ketogenic diet before you would measure impacts on bone. And of course, 
there's a lot of other things happening here. Like you mentioned, exercise is a really like any kind of weight bearing exercise is a really, really important signal for bone remodeling. Sleep is important. A lot of nutrients are really important here. Uh, vitamin D, for example, vitamin A, vitamin C. So it, it, there's a lot of other signals that go beyond insulin. Um, but there is these couple of studies now that have seen um, quite a quite dramatic loss of bone mineral density in in children. Um, so that the, there there is studies to to confirm that that is an effect in the human body as well. Makes sense. So um, I know that we're, we're sort of running out of time. Um, the article on my website, we'll put links in the show notes. It's called The Case for More Carbs. Um, and uh, it goes into actually a lot more uh, detail. I'm going to uh, just kind of give highlights of some of the other findings. So uh, one is that insulin is actually really important for cognitive health. So specifically, it seems to promote learning and memory. Um, and it's probably through uh, regulating receptors for important neurotransmitters like glutamate and GABA. And um, it also has an impact on neural inflammation. So we have these uh, inflammatory cells, the resident inflammatory cells, they live in their brain all the time. They're called microglia cells. And um, insulin signaling is really important for turning them off. So when you're insulin resistant, they get activated and they sort of stay activated. Um, and so restoring insulin sensitivity, again, is sort of really important. We're not saying eat all the sugar, but it's probably one of the reasons why um, insulin resistance in the brain is linked with so many, um, not just things like dementia, which I already mentioned, but also other neurodegenerative and neurological diseases, right? So insulin resistance in the brain is also implicated in epilepsy, for example. And so restoring insulin sensitivity may be a really important part of this. And we actually do see um, impact on uh, cognitive performance in, uh, in diabetics as well as in ketogenic diets. So studies in children have shown uh, trends towards mood problems, um, problems with psychological adjustment. Um, there was a study done in adults that showed that a ketogenic diet made them less motivated to uh, exercise. So they were just more uh, pessimistic about the importance of exercise sort of in general. And um, they showed that they just felt more tired. So they had higher fatigue scores as well. So these are all neurological effects. Um, and there was also one study done in uh, young healthy men following a short-term ketogenic diet that showed it caused reduced concentration, um, slower memory retrieval speeds, and slower processing of visual information speeds. And another study in overweight women, ketogenic diets showed that they had um, a much lower scale on a a particular neuropsychological test that requires sort of higher order mental processing and flexibility. So basically problem solving. Um, and then there's been a bunch of rodent studies that have looked in more detail and shown that they have um, detriment to cognition. So um, definitely, you know, effects on memory, learning, uh, problem solving, 
And is that long term or human because- studies? The human studies have been short term so far. Uh, the the um, studies in children are long term. The studies in adults are short term. So what I mean is, I whenever I, even if I'm just kind of like removing sugar from my diet for a short amount of time to do like a palate reset or something like that, mm-hmm. I immediately recognize a cognitive effect in terms of like brain fuzz, you know, and so I'm just wondering when you said cognitive function is reduced, I'm assuming that they're looking at beyond just like the first week when your body's adjusting to change in carbohydrate and, you know, long term as well being reduced or what did that look like? So the adult studies were done. uh, I think the one in men, if I remember correctly, was done at 10 days or something like that, a, a week to 10 days, which is a fairly short period of time, right? You expect some adjustment beyond that period. The one in overweight women was done in four weeks at four weeks, which is long enough to have adjustment. Like that should be plenty of time to have adapted. Um, And the rodent studies, of course, are are longer term. The um, studies in children, they're followed for for months, if not years, because they're epileptic children. So they're following these ketogenic diets for years. Um, And so they they are showing interestingly um these these trends so they're they're not uh this is fairly new science um so they're still following them and of course mood problems can be very very t- difficult to quantify so it becomes uh much more challenging statistically to to prove effects um so it's mixed and definitely this would be i think one area where more research is definitely required. I think this is one of the big challenges with ketogenic diet research is there's this incredible amount of papers that don't report adverse effects at all. And the ones that do, you know, the the, the safety studies that were done in the 90s and the first, you know, up until like 2010, there were some really rigorous studies, safety studies done for long-term ketogenic diets that were looking at, you know, people following them for epilepsy that did extremely rigorous adverse event reporting and showed like really, you know, serious adverse events, like things like heart attacks and kidney stones and life threatening infections. And so um, these more, you know, these are effects that are going to eventually increase risk of chronic disease. Um, they're, they're things that are going to, not necessarily all show up in the first few months, right? These are these these types of effects are things that are going to have a more long lasting but also protracted, you know, effect on on human health. These things are only just starting to be reported and studied. And so I would say in in all of these cases, um especially if we want to be able to very specifically define the population for which ketogenic diets are recommended and the population for which they're not. These these studies need to be uh, repeated. They need bigger sample sizes. They need longer time frames, and they need uh, – we just need more of them. And we need this mechanistic understanding. But I think there's ample evidence showing that uh, the, the really important thing here is that insulin – needs it's it's a happy medium hormone i mean the whole human body we have every system is designed 
over and over and over again with these, like they're called U-shaped curves. We have this happy medium range in which everything is happy. And when things get too high or too low, the wheels start to fall off the cart. And we have this with our nutrient requirements. We have this with our hormone regulation. We have this with uh, pretty much like every single thing that our body does, right? We want our, you know, kidneys to filter uh, and make urine, but we don't want them to be underactive, but we don't want them to be overactive because that puts a huge stress that strips out the minerals out of our bones, right? So every single thing in human health is really designed around, uh, I don't want to say moderation because it's not necessarily about moderation, but it really, everything has this like happy medium range in which it functions optimally. And when you ignore that range and you try to manipulate something to one extreme or the other, everything in our bodies is connected. There's no system in our body that is working in isolation. So if you impact insulin, you impact all these other symptoms. I mean, we didn't even have time to go into the impacts on hormone regulation or the impacts on immune health. Insulin controls immune function and insulin resistance and not enough insulin cause the same changes in immune function that we see in immune, allergic, and autoimmune diseases. We want insulin in this happy medium range. We want to maintain insulin sensitivity. That means eating whole food sources of carbs, but eating some of them. That means getting enough sleep. That means being active, and that means managing stress. Those are the things that are feeding into our sensitivity to insulin, but we still need to eat some carbs. We still want to release insulin so that we can have all of these downstream effects. And I think it's, it's really, you know, when I ever see these, these, um, any kind of, um, overt manipulation of a system, whether that's, uh, a drug or a supplement or some kind of dietary manipulation that is designed to drive this one hormone up or down or this one, whatever it is, up or down, those always concern me because our body is not designed to work optimally and there's always going to be some kind of innocent bystander cell or system in our body that is going to be negatively impacted. I did not hear the mic drop. I'm, I'm really worked up. Can you tell I'm really worked up? I, I warned people. I did. I told them that it was coming and I did my own little soapbox at the beginning. So they were warmed up. No, I think you have every right to be, not right, but I think you have every cause to be concerned. I think, you know, for you and I, the reason that we're passionate about this is because we don't want to see people's health affected. We know that so many people who are listening have autoimmune conditions. Um, and when you're feeling that way, you're looking for anything to make you feel better. And the promise of reducing carbohydrate means you're reducing insulin, which means you're reducing inflammation, sounds so simple um, and like it's going to be successful for you. And I think it's unfortunate that it's, it's sold so simply and as a, you know, a weight loss formula is being sold, you know, marketed in a different capacity when just like any other kind of weight loss tool, the long-term effects can be really negative. And there are so many ways to successfully move forward with, you know, still significantly reducing your carbohydrates by removing refined carbohydrates mm -hmm. and focusing on vegetables. Like we 100% support and encourage that philosophy and think that that will help your health long-term. Um, 
And I, I just think that's not as easy as a sales tool for people. You know, that that's not a soundbite and it's not sexy. Um, but it's the truth. And so that's what we're here to share with everybody is the truth. And we want it to be science-based and we want you to be informed so that you can make your own decisions. And as Sarah said, there are certainly health conditions that do benefit from this being a medical diet for those who need it. For example, epilepsy. Um, but for those that do not have a need because they don't have a condition that this benefits from, you really think about all the different components of what you remove from your diet and how it affects you, which is why Sarah and I both fully support the idea of what we're adding to our diets. We're adding nutrients. We're replacing the empty calories with nutrient-rich foods. And we're doing that to help our bodies, you know, heal and be nourished and that sort of concept. And so I know for me personally, people who are both in the paleo community and people who are not, that I see practice keto, I see them practice it with such empty calories. Like it's, and it's, it's really frustrating for me to see someone just eat the same, eat the same food over and over because it's simple and it meets the macronutrient ratios. And I say to them, like, how are you getting your vegetables? You know, like, what are, what are you doing? Like, how are you getting your vegetables? And they're like, well, you know, I have a handful of spinach at dinner. It's like, that is not going to sustain your health long-term. It's just not. And I mean, I saw it a lot in the weightlifting community as well. There are so, so many lifters who focus on protein and fat, protein and fat, protein and carbs. Like the, that's they only think about micronutrients. They do not think about macronutrients. And other um, way around. Yes, other way around. See, yeah. it's getting late now. But my point is just that we've. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're coming from. Whether you're, you know, you're. We talked about performance. We talked about autoimmune. We talked about weight loss. Like this applies in so many different aspects on how this can be a significant impact to your health, if not monitored carefully. And yes, you could see physical results short term, just like you could see physical results results short term from a number of incredibly detrimental uh, weight loss diets, but that doesn't mean that it's supporting your health. And that's just what we want you to focus on or what we want to help you achieve. Double mic drop right there. Boop, boop. I also want to encourage everyone to read the full post and, and read about the other systems that we didn't have time to get to. Uh, it's called The Case for More Carbs, and it's on thepaleomom.com. You can also read the uh, condensed and, and compressed um, version in the next issue of Paleo Mag. And I want to just do a shout out for Paleo Mag because I think it's just an awesome magazine that has lots of really interesting articles and recipes and really cool stuff for our, our community. So shout out to them and encourage everyone to to go and subscribe uh, or pick up a copy next time you're in Whole Foods or wherever you get your magazines. I guess bookstores still carry them, but I don't live anywhere close to a bookstore anymore because the bookstores are gone. Yeah, I always see them at Whole Foods. Okay, well, I'm going to remind our listeners, I got a lot of feedback, comments, and questions about 
the sunblock offer that I mentioned the last two episodes after we did the big sun thing that is still happening through the end of June. And I did put a link up in the sidebar of my blog. If you need more information on that, just email me or comment in social media. I've been helping people individually, but just wanted to let everybody know those two questions I've been getting a lot of. So hopefully that helps. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.